Stoveleg Media, igniting conversation. Welcome to the 23rd episode of the Pulling Tart Podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Kuhn. Thank you so much for tuning in, folks. If you like this episode, please share it on all platforms of social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, whatever. Subscribe and drop a rating or comment. At this time, I'd like to say that... uh, we have an exciting addition to the Point Tart Podcast. You can now leave my guests and I voicemails and or texts. A select few will make it into each episode. The number to leave a voicemail is 202-796-TARP. That's 202-796-8277. As always... Follow me on Twitter for all up-to-date news about the Pulling Tarp Podcast and to discuss coming on as a guest at It's R.A. Coon. That's I-T-S-R-A-C-O-O-N. I'd like to welcome on a very special guest, Greg Jamborisi. Greg is the Director of Communications and Broadcasting for the Lakewood Blue Claws, single-A affiliate of the Philadelphia Phillies, and has been with the team in a full-time capacity since 2009. Can't wait to catch up with Greg right after this break. Welcome on to the Pulling Tar Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. Do I understand that there is baseball going on at the Blue Claw Stadium right now as we speak? Hey, Bobby. Uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, so today is the first day. We're recording this on July 14th. Today's the first day of what they're calling the Last Dance World Series uh, okay. baseball tournament in New Jersey. So because of the shutdown... None of the seniors, none of the high schools got to play their spring sports. So one of the high school coaches in New Jersey organized this tournament of teams from all over the state. They ended up getting 220 teams from all over New Jersey, put it together, and then what they have are regional like pods. So okay. there's four teams playing in uh, Lakewood here at the ballpark right now, and um, they'll play two games today, two games tomorrow, two games on Thursday, so each team's guaranteed three games, and then the winners from each pod will advance, and then we're hosting the one of the regions, and I think next week is like the round of 16 in our region, and we'll whittle it all the way down to the southern region champion, in, uh, and then that winner will go to the final in Trenton at the end of July, but it's a great tournament. Uh, I know you're only guaranteed three games, but you know before this tournament, you know a lot of these seniors are going to obviously not get to play their senior year so sure. it's a great tournament get everybody some games and uh, and it's it's cool just to have baseball at the at the stadium today was actually the first game we hosted one event but today was the or a couple events but this was the first baseball game uh, on the field all year so it's pretty cool yeah absolutely I know we're all missing baseball and it's great to see that being played and then uh, the seniors having having one last hurrah yeah. um, as they go out and uh, onto their 
you know, collegiate paths, however that is, either academically or athletically. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's really cool, and you know, the, all the parents were into it, and you know, someone brought signs, and they were you know cheering really loud, and you know, especially I'm sure of the of the parents of the of the seniors, but even you know, even the even the other kids too, because yeah, you, you might have a senior year next year. First of all, nobody knows what that's going to look like no. at this time. Unfortunately, it's hard to it's sad to say, but nobody right. knows what it's going to look like. But you know, you only you get a couple of years to play high school baseball. You know, until mm-hmm. one. It, it, it's it's terrible for the kids. Obviously, we all know why it happened and understand why it happened. Yeah, it's great that that they organized this thing. And I mean, to get 220 teams over the whole state is is really awesome. And they're going to whittle it down to one champ over the next three weeks. It should be fun. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Um, we talked about this a little bit off air, but how has COVID nineteen affected you and the Blue Claws organization as a whole? Yeah, it's been tough. Um, so. The day that we found out that our season would be delayed was Thursday, March 12th. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Friday, March 13th, I left to drive up to Northwest New Jersey. Saturday the 14th, I was in my friend's wedding. Okay. So we had the wedding on uh, on Saturday. It's like 4 o'clock ceremony. And then all the people in the bridal party are lined up. We're not lined up yet, but we're getting ready to go in to be announced for the reception. Mm-hmm. So we're like ten minutes out from that. I get a text, and it's from my boss, and it's the uh, you know to our staff and say, hey, we're going to close the office starting on Monday. We're going to have a quick conference call tomorrow morning. Wow! So Monday the sixteenth, we started working from home and did that for you know two two months. What the better part of two months? Okay. Um, it's been a little different up here because in. New Jersey, everything is kind of flipped from basically from the southern states. So we had really tight quarantine, like really tight quarantine and restrictions at the very beginning. And now things are starting to open a little back up a little bit from mm-hmm. the summer. Yeah. Whereas down south, it's kind of the opposite where they had a limited ish quarantine. Yeah. They started to open things back up early May, and now they're gonna they're facing some you know tighter restrictions of um, here in the in the summer so mm-hmm. you know a lot of we spent May and late April May early June looking at all the activities and events that our fellow minor league baseball teams were planning and hosting and we couldn't do anything <coughs> sorry and um, you know now we're, we're able to do a little bit here and there you know we have capacity restrictions at sure. this point in New Jersey so uh, 500 people is the limit and obviously we abide by that all the mass rules are right. very stringent as they should be and you know we abide mm-hmm. by everything but it's just great to be able to get people into the park oh um, yeah for sure a couple weeks ago we had one on uh, July 3rd well it was supposed to be July 3rd it was July 5th because of weather but uh, I'll tell you that story in a second <laughs> but it was just great to be able to walk around and you know I had the, I was taking pictures of walk around and see everybody for the first time and you know a lot of the people that were there were our season ticket holders and they just came out for a big oh, firework cool. show and it was fun and, and I think more important than the fireworks they just wanted to get back to the ballpark because it had been a big part of their lives for the yeah better in some cases 20 years 19 yep. years this was supposed to be our 20th season okay so it, that part's been good and we're gonna we're gonna do some more stuff we're gonna movie movie nights music nights we have a nice beer garden so we'll, we'll be able to open the okay. stadium up a, a little bit here and there host some some games it, obviously it'll be a summer like no other but yeah um 
it, it'll we'll, we'll do the best we can. You know, the other thing is, I was talking about this today with somebody. It's hard to believe that it's July 14th. If we had a season, there'd be basically seven weeks left in the mm-hmm. in the season. Like we, you know, we'd be two thirds of the way done already. Yeah. You know, you feel like you're just getting warmed up now. Yeah. It's uh, it's been weird. Yeah, it's been super weird. Um, but yeah, can you? Just describe your role um, in season and in the off season during a normal yeah. year. <laughs> sure. So my title is director of communications. I've been with the Blue Plus for a while. So yeah. my first year full time was '09, and um, you know, so my my first thing was as the radio announcer, and I went to Fordham in the Bronx, studied this, worked at the Fordham radio station there, WFUV, which is an amazing place. And that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. And, you know, still want to do it at a higher level. But, you know, in minor league baseball, as you know, and all your guests know, and most of your listeners, I'm sure, know, uh, in minor league baseball, you don't really get to do just one thing. You have to do all kinds of stuff. So that's kind of how – so things kind of evolved, and I started to do a little bit more, um, you know, graphic design, external advertising, marketing, website. Uh, I used to do some corporate proposals that I would just – that I would make for make for the team, do a little sales. Okay. Um, oh, well, not not that much, but uh, and not a not that much anymore. But uh, do all that stuff now. You know, any any external media, any communication that goes out from the blue claws, I do. You know, a lot of social media work. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm doing so. It's it's fun because you get to have your hand in. In uh, a lot of different pots, and obviously, yeah. the, for me, the most fun part is doing the games on the radio. Mm-hmm. But that's not even during a regular year. You know, that's still like the the least important thing right. that I do. You know, <laughs> for the team. It's the most fun thing for me, but it's the least important thing yeah. for the team. So you know, you're doing all the email email marketing, uh, placing all the ads, mapping out all the ad. You know, from a scheduling standpoint, in the off season and mm-hmm. leading into the year. Um, which is challenging, but you know, still fun. It's like this big giant puzzle, and you know, you're working yeah. within budgets. And what can we do? That, how can we do this? How can we reach this audience? How can we reach that audience? Because you know, the thing in minor league baseball, you appeal to every corner of the population in your market. Mm-hmm. So you you have things that are for seniors. You have things that are for young adults. You have things that are for kids, and you're trying to reach the parents. Right uh, and it's it's somewhat challenging at, at times to mm-hmm. come up, you know, to spread out all the messaging that you can do to reach all these different people. But that's part of the that's part of what makes it fun. And then when you come to a game, you know, you have nights where you know it's Thirsty Thursday, and you have a young adult crowd, and you have your senior nights, and then you have your you know Girl Scout night, Boy mm-hmm. Scout night, right. Little League night, where you have all the kids, and then you have stuff for the adults, and you have autograph signers. It, it's fun. It's it's like one giant puzzle. Yeah, but it's uh, it's cool to be a part of. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And it sounds like we had a lot of similar responsibilities when I was in minor league baseball other than the announcing of the games, um, the broadcasting aspect of it. But, but yeah, that was pretty much what I did was all the marketing, social media, graphic design, stuff like that. So, um, so yeah, we've, we've bonded over that stuff in the past. Sure. Um, so you see... A different side of these players than most employees because you travel with the team on the road. Are there any 
funny stories that you can share with us from the road at all? We have, um, we have one player. This might be my favorite one. We have one <laughs> player. We used to go to Canapolis. I won't say the guy's name, but we have one. We used to when we used to play in Canapolis. Um, there's a Waffle House, or there was a Waffle House at the time, about. I don't know, a mile from the stadium. Okay. And back then we would have two buses, a 2.30 bus and a 3.30 bus, every day that we had a night game. So the 2.30 bus was always the pitchers, the catchers, and the coaches, and I would go on there, and then I would go with the, put them on the mm-hmm. early bus. And then at 3.30, they would, they'd get the, posi- the guy would go back to the hotel, pick up the position players, and bring them back to the field. So one of these guys, he, he was a position player, he loved Waffle House, loved Waffle House. So every day we would go Who to Indianapolis. He would go on the early bus, get dropped off at the Waffle House on the way to the stadium, <laughs> eat lunch, and then get picked up by the late bus and go to the game. And he had a, he was a good player. He had a good year. That was a fun. That was a funny one. Just love waffles that much. Yeah, yeah. We've had, you know, um, I guess everybody's gone through it. You know, the nights where you get to the hotel at four o'clock in the morning and the rooms aren't ready. Or there's you get in at midnight and there's a fire alarm at three o'clock in the morning. And yeah, you're like man, you, are you kidding me? Or you know, you got a day game and or a morning game. You got to wait. You got to be on the bus at eight, and you play the and the night before it always goes thirteen innings. Like, yep. You get the the game that goes two hours and fifteen minutes always happens before a night game, and the game that goes three hours and forty five minutes always happens before a morning game or on getaway day. It's just the way it is. Yep, exactly. It is. But we've had, you know, we've had bus break, bus breakdowns. Um, one, we were going. It was July fourth, July third into July fourth in two thousand and twelve or thirteen. Mickey Morandini is our manager. We're going. We always. I don't know why, but we always go. We always ended up in Greensboro on July fourth. Almost every year I've been here, we end up. We just. That's the way it works. Okay. So. When we go to Greensboro, we from Lakewood, we play at night and then we'll leave right after the game because it's a eight eight and a half hour ride. So to get to Greensboro, you take Interstate ninety five all the way down into Richmond to Petersburg, and then it splits off onto eighty five. You take eighty five of it. So from Lakewood to the Delaware Memorial Bridge, it's about an hour and a half. So at night we leave about eleven fifteen, should get in around seven thirty in the morning, and then we play at night. I mean. It's a long day. It's a long for the. I don't really care, but for the players, I it's tough. Yeah, um, I'm good with that. I can do it. Uh, I'm used to it by now. Yeah. But um, at about we left at eleven fifteen, so probably about quarter to one, twelve thirty, quarter to one. We're approaching the Delaware Memorial Bridge on ninety five. Okay. And we all hear this. You know, we're basically all half asleep, and we hear this screeching. Noise from underneath the bus, and oh gosh, and it wakes you up right away. Like at the snap, you're up. Right, how's that? So the bus driver meanders the bus off the road onto the shoulder, and we're fortunately right by an exit. And if you've been on the Jersey Turnpike, which I'm sure you have, there aren't a lot of exits. We got lucky. Mm-hmm. So we pull off the road, and the bus driver gets out and checks, and some hooker bearing or I don't know something that put that kept. Uh, there was like some bar that ran across the bottom of the bus and it came loose so it was dragging on the, on oh. the and we're lucky that the whole 
the thing that spark in the busted yeah, fire. Right. So he pulled off, and we're pretty much done. He can't. He there's nothing that, that we can do. Right. So, you know, we waited a while just to make sure, and mercifully there was a hotel right there, and okay. it wasn't a flea bag motel. It was a perfectly fine hotel. Yeah. So they had rooms for us, and we probably you know. 25 players that's like 13 rooms they probably needed about 20 plus 22 rooms or whatever okay they had the room so we go in and by the time we check in it's like 3 o'clock in the morning and they tell us alright the new bus is coming from Roanoke Virginia hmm. and they hope to be here by 8 Ooh. we want to or by 9 okay and what we want you to do is we want to be down at 8 because we want to unload this first bus and then so we're ready to go as soon as the second bus comes in. Okay. Because we got to play that night now. Yeah. So we all get down there, quarter to eight, eight, unload the first bus, and, uh, you know, they tried to fix it, but you couldn't, there's no garage. No, right. Two in the morning on July 4th. So <laughs> the second bus comes up, and then we hear, he, the driver calls our first driver, says, hey, I missed the exit. Because on the turnpike, all the exits are like, 12 miles apart yeah I know so he misses <laughs> the exit it's like a half an hour by the time he goes up finds the you know makes a U-turn mm-hmm. comes all the way back so we didn't get on the road till like quarter after 10 oh uh, gosh loaded the first bus loaded up the second one now we gotta really go yeah we still have about probably six and a half hours six and a half six forty-five from there to Greensboro and then we gotta play so we can't go to the hotel we got to go straight to the field. Mm-hmm. So we also have to hope that we don't get stuck in traffic. Now, yeah. you're going through D.C., which means you can always get stuck in traffic going through there. Mm-hmm. It was a holiday, but you never know. So no, there was a little traffic for sure because we got there like midday. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, midday, 1 o'clock, whatever. And now, the, you know, the players are hungry. They want to eat. So we weren't. You know, they didn't bring a lot of food because we were just going to drive overnight. Right. And at 7 o'clock in the morning. And we uh, we stopped at some strip mall in Virginia. And the Mickey Mordini was our manager. And he told all, everybody on the bus, he said, all right, no more than six people in any in any spot. And you got to get it to go. Okay. Because, you know, if you go to like a subway with 30 people, it's going to take an hour. We, sure. We didn't have an hour. Yeah. So, uh Everybody did their thing. Some people went to the you know Burger King, Subway, McDonald's, whatever. Yep. Get back on the bus and hit the road. We pull up to the stadium at five fifteen. It's July fourth. It's packed already. <laughs> they have a huge crowd. Yeah. Uh, they we scramble, unload everything. I run upstairs, get everything set up, run back down, get the lineups, to try to get so I can try to get mm-hmm. the scorebook filled out or whatever. Yeah. But you know, get situated, connect to the radio station. By the time we finally did everything game started right on time and you know, I was on the air at 6.50 like normal Yeah. Uh, game starts right on time and the, the pitcher Shane Watson pitched a good game like, he went like five innings gave up two runs it was a tough spot because that was a, that was a yeah. long night <laughs> yeah, and, right. uh, he was young and he was he was 19 oh, or whatever yeah. at the time and pitched a good game we ended up losing on a walk off home run of the 10th uh, but you know it, it happens Yeah. Um, but that was a good one I'll give you another one in, uh, we were going down there in Delmarva, also July 4th. Okay. 2010. So, 
that, if I'm not, I'm pretty sure it was a Saturday. It was definitely July 4th, and I'm pretty sure it was a Saturday. Okay. So, uh, when we go to Del Mar, we leave the morning up because it's about a normally like 3.45, four-hour ride. Mm-hmm. So, I kind of had this nagging feeling that this was going to be a little dicier, uh, this trip, because not only was it a Saturday, but it was also July 4th. And sure. as you know, to get to Del Marva from up there, you go over the bridge and then you take Route 13 all the way down. Yeah. Which, for a lot of it, there's traffic lights, it's a two-lane road for part of it, you mm-hmm. know, it's just a, it could be a brutal ride if you get stuck in traffic. Yeah. So, sure enough, and then everybody's going down for their week rentals, because the rentals go, you know, Saturday to Saturday. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of people going to the beach for the weekend, because it's July 4th. Yep. Well, this had all the makings of it disaster yeah, so, of course also it was 102 degrees that day like legit if you look at the box score from the game you know what I'm, I'll try to find it while we're on but okay. uh, I'm pretty sure the first pitch temperature was if it wasn't listed at 100 it had to be it was like 98 and that was because it was a uh, it was a, a 7 o'clock game mm-hmm. and it would you know it would have been a lot warmer um well, Delmarva usually does their July Fourth game at six thirty-five, or is well, this? You know what? Maybe, maybe that was a six thirty-five. Maybe, uh, maybe that was a six thirty-five game. Well, either way, it was friggin' hot. So uh, uh, we get there on the bus. We're going down the highway on the bus, and the AC broke <laughs> on the bus. Of course. And it's we get stuck in traffic. Mm-hmm. So you do what you can, and. It's hard because there's no windows. Well, you, no. you can't open the window. Right, right. So they opened the front door and they popped up the escape hatch on the top. <laughs> but we're going five miles an hour down Route 13. You can't get any, you know, there's no, no. air circulating. No. It was brutal. So uh, it'd be one thing if it was brutal for four hours. It was a six-hour trip. Yeah. We get to the hotel at like 2.30 and it's Horrible. So <laughs> normally we get in around twelve thirty, go to the field at two thirty, three o'clock, and away you go. Mm-hmm. But because we got in late, and then it was so hot, they were, they weren't going to hit on the field anyway. Sure. Um, we just wait, waited. We'll go over to the field at about five o'clock or four o'clock, whatever. And I'm telling you, um, games moving along, and you're like, okay, maybe we can get through this. And it'll be fine. Somebody scored. I don't remember. I wish I remembered this. I don't remember if it was us or Del Marva, but somebody scored in the eighth inning to tie the game. Okay. We played eighteen innings. Wow. Well. The game ended at midnight, and um, the only reason <laughs> the game even ended was because Del Marva ran out of pitchers. They brought in their left fielder, who I actually remember his name. His name was Levi Karulis. Okay. They brought in Levi Karulis to pitch the 18th inning, and we scored two or three. The Blue Plus scored two or three runs and won the game. Wow. And uh, finally, mercifully ended that day at about, um, you know, by the time we got back to the hotel, it was 1 o'clock in the morning. That was a, that was yeah. a long day. Yeah, wow. Um, is that the longest game you've ever been a part of? 18 is the longest game, but I've done a f- two or three 18-inning games. Okay. We had, uh, we had, it's not the latest the game ended, though. Yeah. We had one um, on or in about 2015, six, 2015 or 16, that went 18 innings. 
uh, that game, Lakewood also won because the other team, in that case it was Hickory, ran out of pitchers. And uh, Cord Sandberg, who was an outfielder for the Blue Claws and is now yep. a backup quarterback for Auburn. I did not know that. Story. I, re- I remember him playing for the yeah, Crosscutters. Yeah. yeah. He's now, wow. He, well, he could have signed. He had, a, he had a football scholarship to Mississippi State. Okay. He drafted him. And he got up to double-A with the Phillies, but it was kind of a long run to double-A. Yeah. And I think he kind of saw the writing on the wall, and he wanted to give football one more shot. And he ended up at uh, Auburn. Wow. And uh, he, he, was the, he was the number two quarterback in the Iron Bowl. They showed him on TV, like the... Really? The quarterback, uh, like... Came up limping or whatever on a play. They, they showed him on the yeah. they showed him on the sideline, which was pretty cool. Huh. Interesting. Uh, yeah. So court. Yeah, court. He was good. I hate to walk off home run. That's okay. Like. Yeah. The uh, longest that game. Was, yeah, that was in eighteen. Okay. And then the other the we had one game that went seventeen and got stopped at midnight because of fog. That was a good one. Oh, nice. The we played. Oh, it was horrible. The umpires um, spent so much time talking. About that might have been seven. I think it was seventeen in the game. They spent so much time talking at the end of the sixteenth inning about whether or not they should play the seventeenth inning. That by the time that you could have started the seventeenth, but by the time you got to the the middle of the seventeenth, after Augusta had batted, mm-hmm. it was it was too bad you couldn't do it. Right. But had they just kept going, Lakewood would have got a chance to bat. Yeah. You never know what would happen. So. Mm. Yeah. Uh, our manager wasn't too thrilled with that one. They stopped the game with fog. Now in. Uh, I don't know if you know this. In New Jersey, we have some bizarre rule with fireworks, where once you unload them from the truck, shoot them or lose them. Oh, so in okay. In some states, you could just load them back up, save them for another day. Yeah, you can't, you can't do that. Oh, so okay. We shot them. So huh? they they call the game at twelve. You have to wait half an hour before it becomes official. Mm-hmm. But obviously, once the fog is there, it's there. Yeah, it's not going away. Yeah. So they. Uh, at twelve thirty, we shoot the fireworks off. Now that year, we had an infielder named Tim Zier, and he was from San Diego. And his brother tweeted us because he was let's take the game. Yeah. And uh, tweeted us. He said they're shooting the fireworks off at the Blue Claws game at whatever it was twelve, like twelve thirty in the morning. Yeah. And he's, I have just in the fog, and he goes, I have just as good a chance of seeing them here in San Diego. And <laughs> he was right. That's so good. That's and, so and funny. He was absolutely right. <laughs> That's so funny. The longest yeah. game I was ever a part of um, was when Lexington came to Delmarva. I think this was 2018. Right. Yeah. And we played 21 innings. Um, but So we played up until the 20th inning and um, till 1.30 in the morning, I believe. And then um, it started pouring down rain, so we had to put the tarp on the field. And then we were back in at 7 a.m. to take the tarp off the field. And yeah, that's the worst. Yeah, and then we played the one, the 21st inning um, prior to um, our normal game that night. So, and we lost on a walk on a solo bomb, not a walk off. Why did you but a solo take the tarp off at seven in the morning? So the grass didn't burn. So the grass didn't burn. Yeah, it was it was bright out the next morning. So yeah, that, um, that is bad. We had one in uh, in Charleston in 2011. So Charleston hosts games for the Citadel. The mm-hmm. Citadel 
university. Yeah. It's right behind the stadium. Okay. And they donated the land, you know, 25, 28 years ago, on which the stadium was built. Sure. And basically, in exchange, they get to play their home games there. Mm-hmm. And it's a great stadium, great city. It's my favorite city to go to in the South. And we were there as a Friday night in May. So they had told us earlier, like before we even got to town, they said on Friday there's a Citadel game at three, and the Riverdogs Blue Claws game will be at seven. So okay. there's no, you can't do any work on the field. Mm-hmm. If you hit the cage at this time. And we said no problem. Okay. So we go we go over to the game at the, we get there at like four thirty. They're gonna hit the cage from five to six, and then the pitchers are just gonna wait through their work until the Citadel game ends, and there'll be enough time between games. Mm-hmm. So uh, we get there, and it starts. Uh, it, before we got there, it started pouring, uh, like really, really bad. Now that field drains incredibly well. Yeah. Take the water, but it's pouring. Yeah. So it rained for it rained for every bit of three hours, and they, under normal circumstances, they would have moved the Citadel game to Saturday morning, and then they were going to play two. They would play two Citadel games. I think they were playing like Radford or something. And they would have played the Citadel against Radford two games Saturday morning, and then we would have played on time Saturday night. They would have, and then on sorry on time Friday night, and then on time Saturday night, no problem. Okay. Except the next morning was Citadel graduation, so they couldn't play a doubleheader, so they had to play the game that night. So they started the game at uh, six o'clock, or oh sorry, uh, I guess they started the Citadel game around. Yeah, it must have been at 6 o'clock. probably ranged from about Ooh. 3 to 5. They started the Citadel game around 6 o'clock. Goodness. Um, they go 10 innings. It's a college game. Oh. They lag on forever. Yeah. You can't watch them. They have no pace. And mercifully, the game ended after the 10th inning. Jeez. About a little after 9. Our game started at 9.54. Oh, goodness. And it then goes a regular 9-inning game, but it ended at 12.40. Oh man! It was brutal. And uh, the next, so um, the next day, we a couple of the coaches and I, and the bus driver, we were going to go into the city to kind of explore the city. Yeah. I went at like nine in the morning, and then just head over to the field when, you know, like two or whatever. Mm-hmm. But nobody wanted to go, so <laughs> the bus driver dropped me off, and I just walked around for a few hours. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, that was brutal. But Bill Murray owned owns. Present that's part of the team. He signed uh, yep. a few baseballs for our coaches that said what, like Bill Murray. I guess he was there. That said Bill Murray, ten o'clock first pitch, May whatever, two thousand eleven. So nice. they got that out of, uh, <laughs> out of it. That was probably the latest game by time that we ever did. And then in one uh, in twenty thirteen, we also the SAL All Star game. Mm-hmm. So as you know, All Star games are uh, a big to do. Months and months and months of planning and all the external activities and everything. So we we announced that we were hosting the game in June of 2012. Right. October of 2012 is when Hurricane Sandy hit. Okay. So a lot of the events that we had planned were going to be in Seaside Heights that got um, that got really devastated by the storm and they couldn't guarantee like hotels we were using there. You know they couldn't guarantee. 
uh, hotels to be ready for our date, and we needed to know by you know February because we had to make alternate. But yeah, so we ended up have to basically redo a lot of stuff, move it up to the Asbury Park, and it, that part worked out. And then you know we do the celebrity hitting challenge on Monday night. The game's Tuesday, so Monday night they set up these big fences on the infield, and then they have targets in the outfield. Okay. The big fences on the infield were to prevent people who were standing on the infield from getting hit, and they have like VIP stuff, you know, a little bar service, food, and you can watch this event. It's really cool. Yeah. Now, um, that day at about four o'clock, five o'clock, a storm bowled through northern, a little bit north of us. I mean, the line was red the, on the radar. <laughs> yeah, thick red. It was like never good miles high, yeah. and it covered the whole state from Great. Trenton to the ocean. Yeah. Now, if this thing had moved south, like uh, three miles, we're screwed because <laughs> we can't get the tarp on the field because we have all these enormous fence fences on the like we never it would have been a mess we, right. we wouldn't have been able to do it yeah and um, I mean it was really bad it wouldn't have been out of the realm of possibility that the field would have been destroyed for the, like even the next night our field yeah. drains really well yeah I mean if the joke was if God exhaled we were done <laughs> amazingly enough he didn't and we were able to keep we had this event no problem on, on Monday now you would think that we were out of the woods yeah of course you were you're never out of the woods, right? Right. So at about 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock the next morning, we put the tarp on. It poured the whole day. Poured. Nice. From 11 o'clock till 9 o'clock at night. Now, if it were a regular Blue Claws game, you would have just called it. But it's the All-Star game. Yeah. You can't reschedule it. No. You can't play it tomorrow. Yeah. You know, and the thing is you get a lot of fans for an All-Star game that maybe aren't as familiar with the with the – the way it works mm-hmm. um, you know if a regular game rains out you play it the next day well why can't you play it the next day you, nobody has any game scheduled mm-hmm. uh, it's not that easy you know everybody's got to travel plans you got to hit the road for the next city you know it doesn't it doesn't everybody's got early morning flights it, it's tonight sure. it's not right so it stopped raining at 9 o'clock we took the tarp off the field and we started the game at 9.50 and nice. played a 7 inning game and it was like an hour and Hour and a half. Okay. An hour and thirty-five. It was, it was really quick. Yeah. But just to have to go through everything with an all-star game and then have to start at you know quarter to ten. Right. Uh, it was horrible. It, yeah. It sucked, but you know it is what it is what it is. And you get a good story out of it. But that's that's baseball, right? Yeah. Minor, at least that's minor league. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, um, would have been, we could have done about an hour and twenty, but they wanted to get all the pitchers. Right. In. So the yep. last couple innings. The guys were throwing one batter, and you know, pitching change. Yep. This happened on both sides, so the, the last like two innings took forever. But uh, the, that part went. That part went smoothly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's, I'm sure there's more stories I'll think of. <laughs> it's uh, it's fun. It's fun. And you get some good stories out of it, but there's a lot of times when you're just annoyed. Right. Right. Annoyed to hell. Um, so you spent your entire baseball career with the Blue Claws, except for one year. With the River City Rascals of the Independent Frontier League, which I'm familiar with, what was that like, and what was the biggest difference between working for a minor league team and an independent team? So that was a little different for me. So um, 
the, the guy who broadcast the Rascals at the time was this guy named Phil Jubileo. And Phil's a great guy, and I met him through Fordham. Okay. And he was there at broadcaster, and he brought me out to be his intern. So it was, it's a little different than what I experienced in the uh, on the um, affiliated side with the Blue Claws when, when I came in, and then he started to do a little bit of everything. Right. But there I just worked for Phil. So when we were home... I would go to you know go to the stadium early and do everything and um, call a few winnings and I live with a host family. Okay. One of the other one of the players lived with us too, and when the team was on the road, I would just do the pre and post game show. Yeah. But I didn't really have a lot of other responsibilities. Okay. For the, for the team, but basically I was just there to get some innings in. Okay. Um, and it was fun. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, the pizza in Missouri is awful. <laughs> Awful, awful. Uh, so, I, I mean, cardboard. Yeah. But I tried two places. They were both awful, and then I gave up for those. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I was there for about, from probably around Memorial Day till maybe mid-August. Okay. Third week August, and then I went, went back. And it was fun. Uh, it was fun. It was a great experience, and got to do a lot of games. We did uh, joint broadcasts with the team on the other side of the Mississippi Called the Gateway Grizzlies. Yeah, yeah. Live in this little town called Soje, Illinois. You can see the Gateway Arch from their mm-hmm. stadium. So I said who lives. That's where they live. They yeah. Um, so those are fun. A guy named Joe Pot was their broadcaster at the time. Uh, one of the guys I met there was Rob Ford, who is now the voice of the Houston Astros. He okay. worked for one of the teams in the league. You know Bill Chaya, yeah, uh, who was with Rockford at the time. So yeah, it was fun. It was a uh, it was a lot of fun, but it was a lot different than anything I did in Lakewood because that was just strictly broadcasting. I did make one mistake on the air that you know, I'll tell you it was funny. <laughs> so we did a joint broadcast with Gateway, and one of my jobs was to interview somebody after the game. Okay, so I was grab somebody from the winning team and. Gateway's manager was this guy named Danny Cox, who was a big, big guy, and he was pitcher for the Cardinals, and now he's managing this team right outside St. Louis. Okay. So the Gateway River City series were fun yeah. because the two teams are really close. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you know you got to remember they're both in the St. Louis media market. Sure. They're right there. You can put independently teams anywhere. You can't put affiliated teams wherever you want. Right. Right. There's all those. Rules Territory and regulations, yeah. But uh, you can put these independent league teams wherever you want. So, Gateway's like right on the other side of the river. You can basically see Bush Stadium from the parking lot of yeah. Gateway. And then um, River City's about 20 miles or so west of St. Louis, but it's an you know, easy ride, big suburb, great market. Mm-hmm. So, we do these games, and Gateway won this game. So, I grabbed Danny Cox, the manager. Yeah. And it was like my first week there, I think. And they told me he hates being called coach. Okay. Don't call him coach. He's the manager. Oh. Now, in college, they're head. it's the head coach. Yeah. But in professional baseball, it's the, it's manager. the manager. Yeah. This was a mistake I'd only make once. <laughs> so, yeah. I make it here, though. And uh, they told me that they said he hates it. And I don't know why... If they had never told me, maybe I wouldn't have done it. But it's my fault. I'm not blaming them. But I don't know if they put it in my head. I don't, I don't know. Right. Was, I get it. Years ago. Yeah. So uh, I grab Danny, and he comes over, 
and I have a wireless mic, and they throw they throw it down to me, and I said, "Coach, congrats on the win." And he had this death stare. And he's tall. He's like six inches taller than me, looking down, and he has this death stare uh, at me for calling him coach. And Joe and Phil are up in the booth, and I can see him because <laughs> you know it's a hundred feet away. Yep. And they're dying laughing. Oh, I'm sure. Laughing. Yep. And we got through it, and then I knew exactly. I knew as soon as I said it that was wrong, and, and well, we were good the rest of the year because you know we see him all the time, so yeah. we were good the rest of the year. But it was funny though. It was funny for that one, those few seconds. I'm like, oh no! And, but they're dying laughing in the, in the booth. So I'm like, I'm not gonna get. Like I knew I didn't get fired. No, or fired or anything. But yeah, he was really, he was really <laughs> well, for a few seconds. Yeah, but that, that's a mistake. That's a mistake that I've, I've never made. <laughs> yeah, and you I'll never make it for the rest of my life. You live and you learn, man. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Well, um, we're going to cut to a break, and then we're going to finish up this conversation with uh, Greg Jamborisi right after this break. Welcome back, Greg. Um, we have some questions from Twitter and then um, from uh, from Google Voice, actually. Um, but we'll, let's go with Twitter uh, right now. Uh, and you you probably saw this earlier on in today. I didn't realize you were on Twitter until today, by the way. Um, I'm there. Jesus yeah, crazy. yeah, yeah. Um, and so Sean Mernon wrote, Ask Greg how he got so good at mini golf and how he almost lost to the Hagerstown radio guy on his own home course. So going back many years, my family, we would always um, vacation in Long Beach Island okay, in New Jersey. So I grew up in northern New Jersey. We vacationed down there. And there are a couple of courses down there that always had um, tournaments. I think they probably still do right. every week. So there was one on Tuesday, one on Wednesday, and one on Thursday, three different courses. And we would go play. My mom was really good. My brother was pretty good. And I was pretty good. Okay. So we would – there were weeks where we all uh, where we all got trophies in our three different divisions. Wow. Uh, you know, I was, I'm four years older than Doug, so he was in a little younger division. My mom was in the – Adult female division, and we were we were we were pretty good. So we play a lot, and I still play the courses here and there, but I haven't played in those tournaments mm-hmm. for a while. So, um, one day in like oh four oh yeah oh four, I was just googling around mini golf tournaments to see if there were any others in here, and I stumbled across this one in New York, uh, Lower Manhattan. Okay, um, and some guy ran it named Gary Schiff. Now I ended up. Gary works for Major League Baseball on the stats side. Really? So I, can't, I didn't. I had no idea um, at the time that he did that, and I was years away from working at affiliated baseball where we our paths would cross again. But Gary ran this tournament, so I asked him about it, and he said, "Yeah, it's fun. Come on down." So me and a friend went down into into the city. It was on the Lower West Side, uh, some right around where. Um, 
right where the Royal Trade Center is, somewhere around there. Okay. So we play in this tournament, have fun, nothing crazy, but it was fun. And he's like, hey, I run this one up in Connecticut, you should come up in the fall. So we do. It's at this, this campground called the Odita Campground in Basra, Connecticut. It's basically a few miles west of Norwich. And it, it was a one-day thing, then it became like a two-day thing. It was like Saturday and then Sunday morning, so we wow. go up. We did this for a few years. We'd go up, um, make a weekend out of it, play in the tournament Saturday, go out to dinner Saturday night, go watch a game somewhere, and then Sunday morning, and then head home. Yeah. And we did that for a bunch of years. We went to these tournaments in uh, a couple others in Connecticut, one in Rhode Island, one wow. in Massachusetts, and we were pretty good. And you know, every once in a while, we'd cash a little bit of money, but we had a lot of fun doing it. Sure. And played all the time, and when we were home. Um, you know, we would go play uh, a couple of the driving ranges. Not that where we where we are in northern, where we grew up in northern New Jersey had mini golf courses. So we would go all the time and play. It was fun, and we got pretty good. We we're both pretty good. So then I started working for the Blue Claws, and it, it's a lot harder. You know, you don't have as much free time. Obviously, the summer you have no time. Right. So. Um, I you know I haven't gone up. I don't even know if they still do the one in Basra anymore. But yeah, I haven't played as many. Now there was one in uh, in '09. They had one. They had a. There's a company that designs mini golf courses called Harris Mini Golf. Okay. And they used to host these tournaments at all the courses they designed all over the Eastern Seaboard, and they would have qualifiers for what they called the Harris Cup. Mm. Well, one year the Harris Cup came to Ten Falls, New Jersey, which is like. 15 minutes, 20 minutes oh, from nice. the stadium. So, my God, you got to play. Yeah. But it was the Saturday of the first round of the Sally League playoffs. Uh-huh. So, if we had played on – this thing was going to take – it was like four rounds, I think. So, I, I if we had to play Saturday night, I probably couldn't couldn't have done it. Right. Yet, but probably not. So, I needed us to win Friday, and we did. So, I had Saturday morning free, play this tournament – Qualified, got like five, more five hundred bucks. <laughs> qualified for the final, which was a month later. Yeah, where I did not play well. But there were people from all over, like the Carolinas, you know, Illinois. They were like really, wow. really, really good players. And I played, I played a lot. Yeah. So a few years go by, and uh, we, the Blue Claws, undergo an ownership change, and one of the owners comes in. His name is. Um, Bob Tamashunas and the ownership group Art Maiden and other guys they wanted to kind of turn the ballpark into this um, into like uh, you know the Jersey Shore give the ballpark more of a Jersey Shore feel okay so sure enough um, they built boardwalk games they built a beer garden they built boardwalk games and they built a mini golf course Mm. so they built this mini golf course in right field down the right field line it's, it's great um, you know, kids kids can come in play nine holes. Takes about forty, you know, forty minutes if you have. It takes like six minutes if you don't have kids and you're just zipping through. So yeah. I go on my lunch break a lot of times, but okay. Um, you know, but for family of four during a game, you know, you're not going to keep the kids in the seat the whole time. So you, you go play. It's awesome. Sure, it does really well. People love it. Sounds it's awesome. A great addition. It's a great addition. Yeah. So whenever we have uh, visiting broadcasters and guests come in. We'll take them out and we'll and we'll play a little bit. So, uh, Sam Hyman was with Columbia at the time a couple of years ago, 
and he brought two of his players out there, and they played, uh, and he shot some videos for their website and social sure. media of the players playing. It was fun. Sean came out from Hagerstown, and we played. He almost beat me, <laughs> and I, I think I beat him in a playoff. And Ben Hill came out Ooh. in 18 from MyLadyBaseball.com, and he played against me as well. <laughs> and uh, we were we played. The thing is, it's not um, a. It's all. It's nine holes, and B. You know, there's not a lot of like easy holes in one. Okay. But there's also not a lot of holes where you can really make like a four or five. Uh, so yeah. if you're just playing nine. Not to use this as an excuse, but if you're just playing nine holes, like it's going to be a pretty close match because realistically, <laughs> unless you're going to roll in a few ones, you know you're not going to get too many threes or fours just because the holes aren't that right. Not that tough. Okay. Um, so basically, you could just roll go all the way around and get two on every hole. So um, you know we were close, and then uh, I think I beat Sean on a hole in one on the on the we played the, the first hole again as a playoff. Okay. I definitely beat Ben on the first hole. Uh, in a playoff and then Ooh. later that year at the promo seminar in the fall Ben gave me a shout out <laughs> in, in his presentation because he does a presentation where he shows pictures from every stadium he had visited during the year okay. and he knew I was there and he gave me a sh- and he gave me a shout out as like the top miniature golfer in the South <laughs> which I appreciated nice nice. Uh, but yeah that's the, that's the mini golf so okay. um, I have looked into a few tournaments now that I have more time this summer but yeah. just like the baseball season a lot of them have got canceled. Sure, sure. Maybe we'll find maybe we'll find something in the in the fall. Yeah. It's a blast. Okay. So something new that I added to the podcast was I made it available for people to text or leave voicemails um, to my guests and I. Um, okay. And people can do this by um, texting or calling the number two zero two seven nine six TARP. So 202-796-8277. And somebody texted us a question. I have no idea who it is. And he said, or they said, Did Greg have anything to do with handling the Impractical Jokers crew or their pranks when they were at the Blue Cause games? And how was it having them out? Yeah, good question. Uh, Unfortunately, no. Um, I had nothing to do with them. That was our promotions director at the time, uh, Hal Hanson. So I, I don't even know if they called us or we called them. Uh, I do remember we put up a bunch of signs around the stadium, especially at the gates when people came in, to let them know that there would be a TV crew filming there. Okay. And you might be on, you might get filmed. The, the tricky thing about that appearance was, if you go back and look, it was season one, episode three, I think. Oh, three wow. Or four. So the show hadn't aired yet when they okay. filmed it. Yeah. Which means that nobody had any idea what the hell was going on. <laughs> it was a little different. Like if it happened today, you know, enough people sure. like, have seen the show, heard of the show, at least that, even if you have even if you're not a regular viewer, at least you have a general idea what what's going on. Right. But that didn't happen. So um, again, I'm in the booth the whole time, so it's a little different. Mm-hmm. So I don't really have a great you know, I'm not dealing with the fans on a Nightly basis, right? Correctly. Right. But um, you know, social media at the time wasn't what it is now. So yeah. now you know, fire off a tweet or, and mm-hmm. ask what the heck's going on. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I do know that a, a lot of people were a little peeved by it, but that's the <laughs> point. You know, that's what they're sure, for. sure. Um, but yeah, they they hadn't aired the show hadn't aired yet when they filmed it. 
Okay. Uh, at our stadium. So they, they started the show in New Jersey. I think they did Six Flags was one of the episodes that it was before us. I don't know what the other one was, but I think I'm pretty sure we were season one, episode three, maybe before. But uh, wow, yeah, that's a good episode. Uh, pops on every every now and then. And, yeah, uh, there we are. Yeah, speaking that was 2011 or twelve. Speaking of TV, we've talked about this off air, I believe. But um, didn't some of the members of the Jersey Shore come to a, a Blue Claws game? Um. One of them had a sweet Okay. A couple of years ago for one game. Okay. But that's the ex- I probably, to be honest with you, I don't even remember which of the cast members that's okay. was not Snooky. That's okay. Um yeah, they had they had a sweet but um no not not really. But not uh, Jamie Lynn Sigler's been here because she was dating at the time uh, Cutter Dykstra, who played for Hagerstown. Oh, okay. So, uh, she, she was there a lot. Mariana mm-hmm. Rivera came a few times because his son played for Hagerstown a few years ago. Yeah, he. Uh, uh, you know, we've had celebrities do autographs, signings, and the like. Yeah, yeah, Mariano Rivera. I've seen him in the stands before. Um, I think, yeah, at, at um, the Shorebirds for sure. Um, but yeah, his son played for Hagerstown. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this is the Bowling Tart Podcast, and you've seen a ton of games. What has been the most entertaining tarp pool that you've seen? Um, well, there's ones when you go to... We're blessed in Lakewood, where <laughs> we have a big staff. Okay. Not only do we have a big staff, but we have a lot of interns and assistants. So right. the typical tarp pool in Lakewood will feature 20 people or more. Okay. Wow. And That's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. So in, like in Beloit, I was in in Beloit, I was pulling with like four people on the regular. Right. <laughs> right. So everybody there complains about it, but they don't see the teams pull with five people. Yeah. And you know they like don't get me wrong, whether you're pulling with five or with fifteen or with twenty, it still sucks. Four, it, yeah. It's, 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 yeah. But it's not the same, you know. Yeah. So there's the ones in in the you know in some of the teams where they just have fewer people and you know you're sitting up in the booth and you could just tell oh man yep I know exactly I don't even know exactly what they're going through but I don't want to be them right now no um you know where you get those like really bad storms that are that roll through and it just dumps a ton of water on there and like you gotta get it all off and it's like uh mm-hmm. you feel like you feel bad for them yeah um we had one in Lakewood a couple of years ago. It was 2018. Uh, no. 18 or 17? 17. And it was a... We were doing a um, Game of Thrones-inspired night. We had a huge crowd. It was a Friday. Okay. Wow. No, it was 18. Sorry, 18. Not that it matters. Game of Thrones-inspired night. Friday night in August. Huge crowd. So, it's like 6.05. And I'm getting ready to go on... I'm not... I gotta go on the air in a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, they called for the tarp, and I'm like, "What? Well, they got it. There's 25. Should I have gone down? Probably. <laughs> I didn't go. Yeah. They have 20. I mean, I can count them. There's right. 25 people there. Right. So I'm like, they got. It. Like, I gotta be, get ready to go here. Yep. Uh, again, should I have gone down? Probably. Maybe. All right. And our production director, 
is up there with me too and she's working so like she can't go that she's got a lot of stuff to do with this yeah so um we're watching they have everybody lined up there and it's like it starts to drizzle like light drizzle sure and they have everybody lined up ready to go and they don't do anything (laughs) then light drizzle becomes drizzle and nothing then it becomes light rain nothing then it becomes like legit rain and then I look at Kirsten the production director like what are they doing and we're looking at the radar and like there's a decent sized cell that's kind of emerging you know it's one of those sites that's really humid and the things are just kind of popping up and growing out of nowhere it's not like you're following something all the way through Mm -hmm. and we look at each other what are they doing are they going then suddenly it starts pouring like pouring (laughs) capital P so then they go to push it out but by then it's too late so as you know when it's really really rainy like that and plus it had been a little wet because it had been raining a little before they put the tarp on Mm -hmm. sometimes you just can't move it no Uh, the water weighs it down I don't care if you have the US weightlifting team like it's not moving Mm -hmm. so you couldn't get on and after it's, it's coming down it's coming down it's coming down now I have just having seen and broadcast at that time probably 1400 Blue Claws games or whatever 1300 yeah. Blue Claws games I knew right then and there we're not playing tonight mm-hmm. but you know you always keep hope up keep hope alive yeah and they finally get it across the field but you know it's and it, the rain stopped they finally get it across the field but by then it's too late <laughs> so they try to fold it back and get to work Mm-hmm. And you know they do everything that you can do you bring down the blowers from the inflatables plug them in and just blow the water wow send a bunch of people around with a rake um, just to try to move the water around mm-hmm. uh, I didn't know this at the time but our manager told me later that night he said yeah when they all they would do when they would rake a spot on the field was to create like eight little mini rivers mm. in the in the dirt because it was so wet all yeah. you're doing is moving water you move dirt around and create these little crevices and then all the water shorts through. Yeah. And there was no shot. And then we were playing Lexington and they had um you know, they had a few big prospects on their team and their guys didn't, like we couldn't possibly play. So okay. we had to play a double header the the next day. Oh. Now that that one it it stunk. Yeah. Um I don't know, like people seem to understand mostly. We shot the fireworks off. Oh, you know, we yeah. Went, we still got dark shot the fireworks off. So uh, one of the things I do a lot in the off season is I go on these speaking engagements. I'll do 50, 60 speaking really? in the off season. Okay. Yeah. Rotaries, men's clubs, Kiwanis groups, okay. chambers of commerce. So we'll do all of them. Okay. High school classes, college classes. We'll do all of them. So I, I do this one uh, the next or later that, that off season, a few months later. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why I told that story, but I, I probably shouldn't have, but I didn't. And one of the people in the, I guess it wasn't our finest moment, but, um, but I mean, it happens, it happens to everybody. Yeah, it sure is. And one of the people in the group was at the game. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> and she said, you know, 
we appreciated all the work you guys put in to try to get the field and ready, which they did. Like we did, they, yeah. You know, they do everything you can, and you know we had a lot of characters there from that were Game of Thrones inspired for the night. Okay, and, yeah. You know, we brought them out and they did skits and took pictures with people in the crowd and you know you do everything you can do to make the experience for everybody as best as as good as possible and to just kind of bridge some time until you can shoot until it's dark enough mm-hmm. you can shoot the fireworks off and um, they appreciated it they came back you know at the end of the year or whatever exchanged their tickets and you know they had a good night even though we didn't play well, which always kind of stuck with me that yeah. you know it's 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 more than the game which you already knew yeah but of course I'm glad that she appreciated everything that and I say we didn't do anything but you know that our <laughs> staff did to try to get the field ready and yeah. to try to entertain everybody. Yeah. You know, until the fireworks go off. We played, I just thought of this, we played a game in Delmarva, I forgot what year it was, but we had to play a doubleheader and they were fantastic and started, I mean fantastic, and started the doubleheader at 4.30. I don't know why. Now, usually if you do 4.30, it's like, 4.30 and not before 7. Mm-hmm. And then if the if the 4.30 game ends at, you know, 6.30, then you just start the second game at 7 and away you go. Yeah. If the 4.30 game ends at 6, then you wait an hour instead yeah. of waiting a half hour. Right, right, right. Well, we played, it was 4.30, and it, this was, not only was it 4.30, but it was in June. It was like right around the end of the first half, beginning of the second half. So at that time of the year, those are the longest days of the year. The sun mm-hmm. doesn't set till eight forty or whatever. Right. So we were literally pull. I don't know what. I don't know what happened. We were pulling out of the lot. The, both games had ended, and then <laughs> it takes like forty five minutes to an hour for everybody to, for all the guys to get ready to yeah. leave, and then leave. We. I swear to God, we were pulling out of the lot, and they hadn't shot the fires off yet. Wow. It was, it was still light out. I, we must have played these two games in like. The first game must have ended at about. I know I wasn't there game. yet. I know that yeah, much. Know. <laughs> and the second game must have started at like 6 30 and ended at 8. You know? And, wow. Or whatever, 7 seven forty five. It was awesome for us because we got out of there. Right. Early. Wow. That's but, incredible. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, nice. that was funny. Now, I remember that. That was a good one. Wow. So. Um, you and I have talked about this a little bit before we started recording, but what are your thoughts about Major League Baseball potentially getting rid of 40 minor league teams across the country? Yeah, um, I think it's it's a sad situation. Yeah. Um, you know, minor league baseball means so much to these communities all over the country. Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing that we have to keep in mind is that in many cases, minor league baseball is the introductory vehicle for young kids to professional baseball. Absolutely. Yeah, you play little league, um, but you might not be able to go to a major league game. And I'm not even talking about the prices. No. The prices are obviously high, but Major League Baseball is in how many markets? 28? Yeah. Two teams in New York, two teams in Chicago? Yeah. 28 markets? 27 markets? Mm-hmm. Um, 
but sorry, Major League Baseball is in you know twenty five, twenty six markets. Right. Minor League Baseball is all over the country, thirty eight states or whatever it is. Yeah. And that's the introductory vehicle to the sport for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And you know, look, it's not my decision. I hate that if, if it comes to that, I I, uh, I feel just awful for any city that will lose their job or lose their team that supported their club for, you know, some of these clubs have been there for 80 years. Yeah. Chattanooga was, has been there for like 120 years or something. Mm-hmm. Is that possible? More than that. I yeah. No, they go back to the 1800s, 130 years. Yeah. So, you know, that part of it is, is just horrible. Um, from the standpoint of player development, I mean, I could see where they're coming from, but yeah. there are legitimate costs to that. And mm-hmm. again, it's—I don't know what's going to happen. I hope, as w- what is reported, doesn't—you know—doesn't happen. Um, but you know, if you don't give kids the opportunity to fall in love with the sport, you're going to miss out over time, right? And might you save money in the immediate short term? Sure. Of mm-hmm. course, you might. Yeah. But at the same time, you still need people to, you still need kids to fall in love with the sport. And Absolutely. they might not be able to do that at Yankee Stadium, Wrigley Field, Fenway Park, because they don't live, you know, they don't live anywhere near there. Or, right. you know, the parents don't want to spend 500 bucks to bring a family of four to a major league game anywhere in the country. Yeah. Um, but they can go to a minor league game for a hundred bucks or less, or less, yeah, yeah, yeah. In many cases, way less, including food. Yeah, you know, four tickets. To, you can go to four, four tickets to a minor league game for thirty bucks in a lot of cases. Yeah, so you can't put a price on developing fans. Yeah, because while the money thing might be a short term thing, but the love of the sport is a long term thing. And right. I just hope it doesn't come to that. I couldn't agree with you more. I know, um, you know, the reason I worked in minor league baseball for so long was um, to give back, like, to give back to communities, small communities that that were similar to the ones that I grew up in. Um, You and I have talked about, I grew up in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, Home of the Little League, or home of the Little League World Series, and the Williamsport Crosscutters. Um, yep. But that's where I fell in love with baseball was going to minor league games. Um, the closest major league uh, team to me was the Phillies, which was three hours away. Um, yeah. Pitts- Pittsburgh was four hours away. Um, New York was also about three and a half hours away. So. That's right. but I grew up two minutes away from the Williamsport Crosscutter Stadium, and that's where I fell in love with baseball and found out what it can do, how it can positively affect a community, and that's why I went in the career path that I did for eight years. Um, so and only, that's not just yeah. this though. It's this is one thing, mm-hmm. but it's you know these games take for forever. Yeah, I mean. The minor league games are not that bad. Lakewood plays in our ballpark is big, and I don't mean big seating wise. Yeah, but on the, it plays it plays big on the field. Sure, um, and because of that, like our average game times in Lakewood are pretty low, relatively mm. speaking. We're always one of the faster games, so okay. it doesn't really apply to us. But 
you know, you got up to some of these higher level games, like these AAA games, like they average the 310. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Yeah. You know, the, the major league games average 305. Um, but it's not even the length, it's the pace. Mm-hmm. It's just so, you know, and you're talking to, you're, um, you're talking to somebody here who loves baseball. Yeah. Who loves it. I've grown up watching it for 30 years. The games are borderline, in many cases, borderline un- unwatchable. Yeah, and I agree. if I'm saying that, then <laughs> what are what are, are normal fans are, saying? Yeah, yeah, exactly. There are many other people that are saying that. Um, look, say what you want about the NFL. It's a and, and I know an NFL game is three hours too, but there's a lot more rhythm to it mm-hmm. and tempo to it, and you know you have the plays every thirty seconds, every forty seconds. Right, every play can be a game breaker. Yep, and it's you know it's a little different. Uh, a college basketball game. I mean, don't get me wrong; they those endings take forever. Yeah. In a college basketball game. Yeah. Uh, personally, I think they should switch to the Elam ending. I don't know if you're familiar with that, uh, where you have they set a target score. Oh yeah yeah yeah. The, the tournament does that. Yeah. The tournament does. Yeah yeah. Yeah. Once the once they get to a certain, once they get to once the clock runs out, they add like twelve points or something to the winning team's score. And the first team to get there win it. It's, it's really cool. Yeah. But anyway, that's a separate discussion. But you know, these games just take forever. We were at a high, a high school game today. They made a they made a left right pitching change in the top of the second inning. <laughs> it's insane. I'm like, come on. Wow. Um, that's incredible. You know, I, I think they're trying to do some stuff. They at least seem to acknowledge the, that there's a problem. But the things that they're doing, you know, the the three batter minimum. I like it. It's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But. The problem is not the three batter minimum. That's a problem. But the major problem is that you can't go 33 seconds between pitches. Yeah, right. And the way the game is played uh, and the way the game is coached and the way the teams are built from the front offices where you're talking about strikeouts above all from mm-hmm. a pitcher standpoint. You, know, you end up getting more lengthy at-bats from a – pitch standpoint right and hitters are judged on how many pitches they see per plate appearance well all of these things add time to the gap between the time the ball's in play and that's what you don't have in the NFL where in the NFL the ball's in play every 35 seconds every 30 seconds right and while the whole game takes the same time if the ball's in play every 30 seconds it's okay sure in baseball the ball might not might you might go five minutes between yeah Batted balls going into place. Yeah. So, you know, again, all these things are are factors. And then, look, I'm an old man at heart, I guess, but <laughs> I mean, the average World Series game should not end at twelve oh seven. Absolutely a. not. You, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. I mean, look, <laughs> I get it. It's not my money. Right. It's not my money. But. But now I have to go to be. I have to be at work at eight thirty. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, so. Um. You know, the average person, or forget the average adult, the average kid can't watch it. No. And if if you can't get a kid to watch the World Series, of all things, mm-hmm. how is that kid going to fall in love with the sport? Yeah. And how is that kid going to be the, you know, want to play baseball all the way through yeah. high school? And how is that kid going to become... A lifelong fit, right? You know, ultimately, 
ultimately what they need and what the sport needs is you need more kids to want to grow up and be Mike Trout today. When yep. I was younger, it was Derek Jeter. Yep. But Mike Trout or Derek Jeter then want to be Patrick Mahomes right. or LeBron, you know? Sure, sure. But you can watch the Super Bowl. Yeah. You can watch Patrick Mahomes every week. Um, you know, the, the World and, Series is... Uh, and uh, the kid... That, that's, a, that's a side... At <laughs> peeve of mine, I'm I, I I'm positive I'm not alone. No, you're not alone. But I mean, but again, it, it all goes back to the same thing of growing this, growing this sport. Right, right. And, you know, you have to give kids and adults, but mostly kids, you have to give them the opportunity to fall in love with the sport. It's an amazing sport. It's the best game in the world, and you know, you trust that they will ultimately fall in love with the game. Right. But man. Sometimes you get the feeling that they make it a little hard. Yeah, well, especially, let's just say, kids in Iowa, for instance. They're getting rid of almost every minor league team in Iowa, and they can't watch hardly any MLB games on TV. Like, yeah. So it's just like, all right, so you're not going to get any superstars or like any kids that want to grow up playing professional baseball in Iowa. But that's besides the point. But literally all over the country, it's going... We we feel the same way. I'm positive. So, um, yeah, I mean, oh yeah. Look, hopefully it sorts itself out. Hopefully they they keep all the teams. I mean, yeah. You know, Let's hope. I, I don't know what's gonna happen. Hopefully, they yeah. Around. But again, it's just the baseball aside. You know, you don't want to see these community staples of any kind. No. Whether it's a restaurant, a public park. You know all those things. Like you, you want those, you want as many of those things around to add culture and ambiance and energy to communities. Right. My right. baseball is part of that. Yep. To the tune of forty million fans a year. Yep. Absolutely. Um, so you've traveled around the South Atlantic League for a long time. What is your favorite place to go? I think you said Charleston earlier. Yeah. And and why? And what's your least favorite place to go to, and why? My, well, Charleston's my favorite city. Um, it's just a beautiful city. Every time we go, I'll always go downtown one at least one day, sometimes two or three, uh, just to walk around, go to the sh- you know walk around the shops, Market Street. Uh, I got a there's a restaurant that I love there, the Charleston Crab House on Market Street. I recommend okay. it to anybody who goes to Charleston. Um, Love going sitting in the park. Uh, I think it's called Riverfront Park. There's the or river, I think it's called Riverfront Park. It's it's um, you know right down on the Ashley River there. They have a beautiful uh, fountain, the pineapple a pineapple fountain. Okay, uh, that's there. I have a picture in my office of that fountain. Uh, I just love everything about the city. The stadium is really nice. Uh, overlooks the Cooper River. Beautiful place. My favorite stadium though in the South League is Greenville. Okay. Because they, uh, that's a modern park. Charleston's about 25, 26 years old. Greenville was 06, I think. Yep. And uh, Mini Fenway, it's just beautiful. They have the monster up there and left. We haven't been there in a few years because the South League schedule maker hasn't been very kind to us and uh, never sends us, doesn't send us there anymore. <laughs> but. 
Uh, I love that. They have the tra- uh, train track that runs behind the right field wall. The bullpens are both out in, in right field like in Fenway, but they don't have bleachers in right field uh, like you do in Fenway, but they yeah. have the railroad tracks. So every once in a while you get a nice freight train that pulls through, adds a little culture to the uh, personality okay. there. It's still a little ballpark quirk. Okay. You know, every ballpark needs... Um, needs differentiators essentially something to talk about on air <laughs> yeah, yeah that's for sure <laughs> but just from a fan standpoint you know you want to see a little bit something a little bit different in each stadium so sure Lakewood you know we have the boardwalk games we have the mini golf we have a 360 degree concourse which everybody likes yeah um, that actually is probably the 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 most uh the most like element of the stadium that we have a three season. Yeah, people people love that. That's new to Del Marva within the yeah, last couple yeah. years, and people do love that. So. so you know they got the monster. They have the you know the train, and they have the, the you know the old time looking facade. It's just a it's just a gorgeous, gorgeous yeah. stadium. Um, I guess from a stadium standpoint, probably I guess Hagerstown is. Okay. So you know, it's the oldest one. I don't pick, pick on them. It's the oldest one. They have this ridiculous spiral staircase at the back of the grandstand to get up to the press box. Okay. And to go up there, I mean, walk up there, it's fine. But when you got to go up there with the equipment, that's a pain in the neck. So yeah. like a three game series, you got to go up one day and then down the third day. So you only got one easy day. Okay. We have to carry the, the equipment up the big this little spiral staircase. Right. And then it's in this little booth. Uh, about um, right over the grandstand. The cool thing, though, is that your angle is awesome because you're so far, um, you're up close to the field and oh. you're high up. So oh, yeah. in, in Lakewood, if you were to drop a penny out of the press box, it would land in row 20. Okay. But in Hagerstown, if you were to drop a penny out of the press box, it would land in row 2. So wow. you're really close to the field and you're really high up, and it, it's a really cool angle. Uh, a place to watch a game. Okay. Plus, you always get because you're so high up, you always get a good breeze that that kind of blows through. Yeah, so that's nice. And then it's also like ten miles away from the Antietam Civil War battle site. Which oh. I always go visit. Okay. When we're there, that's a neat little. Uh, huh. I did not know that. But it's a it's a uh, historical. All right. Historical landmark Civil War battle site. Okay. So Very cool. There. Uh, and it's close-ish to Lakewood, so if I have to, I can yeah, drive. Yeah, sure. All right. We don't have too many. We have, there are two teams in, in the league we can drive to. You got Delmarva when you yeah. guys when you were there. And Hagerson, everybody else is at least eight hours. Okay. Yeah, that's true. 500 miles. Wow. Yeah. Um, so, what is your favorite concessions food in the South Atlantic League? Um, Charleston has a... Beer shake, ooh, that's fantastic. Okay, and they would they would rotate through the the beers I think over like each homestand. Oh, really? But it was a beer shake where they just built it was a chocolate milkshake, but it had a little beer flavoring mm. and both beer in it, and then it gave it a little extra yeah. flavor that was always good. Plus, it's always hot and humid there. Sure. So it's the perfect uh, it's the perfect thing to get right before going right. on here. That sounds delicious, actually. It's delicious. delicious. Wow. Okay. So, I was doing a little bit of research. On your bio on the team website, it says that you were a researcher for Stump the Schwab. Yeah. Which, 
I loved watching that show um, as a kid when it was on. Uh, what was that like, number one? And do you have any good stories from working there? Yeah, so that was fun. That was my first job out of college. Okay. It was in wow. 2006. And it was a two-month job, um, June and July. So graduated in May, like two weeks later started. And we basically rented half the floor of an office on 45th Street in Manhattan. Okay. So I lived in, I was at my parents in New Jersey, and I just commute in every day. Which okay. Which was fun. Yeah. I wouldn't want to do it for 30 years like some <laughs> no. people, but for two months it was fine. No. So uh, you go in the office, and then you come out of the elevator, and then we had like the right half of the of the floor. So the first set of offices were the executive producer, the producer, and the director, another producer, whatever. And then in the back, you had the researchers, and then behind them were the writers. Okay. So it was set up that way for a reason, which I'll get to in a second. So our job was basically to confirm everything, every question that the writers wrote. We had to okay. triple source every question. Yeah. Some of them were easy. Like, it would be name all the National League MVPs since 1980. That's okay. Easy. Yeah. Some of them were a little bit harder, as you as you know from watching the show. Right. So that was it. We just did it. It was like seven weeks of research where we would just go in and just bowl through question after question after question, and then uh, the last week was taping. So we would go up to the studio. Um, about we were our office was between fifth and sixth on forty fifth, I think, and the studio was like twelfth Avenue and. 61st something it was up there okay so not that far from Columbus Circle so we the taping was fun we didn't have to do anything we just watched the, we just watched it yeah it was fun we all the answers nice uh, but uh, it was cool he um, the Schwab himself Howie Schwab came in one day and they put up some kind of barricade police tape or whatever to prevent him from getting in the back of the office where the questions were. It was like a legal thing. Yeah. Uh, he just stayed in the front and met with the executive producer and um, stayed up there. But that's why the, they had to put a... Like, he couldn't be within X number of feet of the room with the questions. Oh, uh, okay. Sure. All and right. You had to triple... Everything had to be triple sourced because the quickest way to get a game show off the air is to do one of two things either reward a question reward a contestant for answering a question incorrectly mm-hmm. or penalize a contestant for answering a question that he actually answered correctly and mark him incorrect right so you know everything was they put a lot of work into it and the executive producer Tiffany Trigg had done the um, the two minute drill with Kenny Mean that was a bit of a, a predecessor of Stump the Schwab precursor to Stump the Schwab and uh, Stop the Shop was on for had a good run. The, I was the year I was there was the last year. Oh, uh, okay. But it was a lot of fun to do the show. Uh, you know, in my limited capacity as a researcher, but it was just to be around everybody in the TV show like that. It, it was a it was a lot of fun. I yeah. took a test to be on the like one of the things really? that I did when I interviewed was you have to take the test. Oh, so wow. I did not pass to be on the show like I didn't score high enough to be on the show <laughs> I passed I was close I was like one question away from qualifying to be on the show not that I wanted to do it anyway but, right um, I did well enough to get the job I, you know the okay. staff standard was a little bit lower 
and the contestant standard. Yeah. So I passed the staff standard, but I just missed the okay. standard to be on in the show. All right. I worked in TV too. I don't know if you knew that. Um, I had an in, I had an internship with um, sports science on ESPN. Okay. Um, so I went out to LA for a summer and did that internship, and that was pretty cool. Got to meet some professional athletes and whatnot. And then for three days, I worked for American Idol when they were in Pittsburgh. Um, did you really? Yeah. So that's cool. So yeah, um, I, I get the whole behind the Why scenes. Three days? Um, just because they were in Pittsburgh for three days. Oh, they um, ran out. Okay. Yeah, that that was it. it was, um, I went to school like an hour north of Pittsburgh, um, and they sent out an email saying like, "Hey, we we, we want communication majors to uh, to work for us for these three days and be able to put it on their resume." So I did that, and um, yeah, it was very very entertaining. They're not a dull moment when you're working in yeah. entertainment. Um, whether it be TV or minor league baseball, for that instance, no. <laughs> um, that is true. But so we wrap up every episode of the Pulling Tart Podcast with the same question, and then we close it out with this song. What has been your favorite walk-up or warm-up song over the years, and whose was it? You know, <laughs> I'm almost embarrassed to say. Ooh, I couldn't name. One player's walk-up song oh. in twelve years. Oh. Except we had a guy from Australia named Alan Schoenberger. Okay, and he had he used "Lonesome Day" by Bruce Springsteen. Okay, I'm pretty sure. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I'm pretty sure. Wait, sorry. Oh, you're fine. I'm pretty sure they just picked it for him and just left it and he didn't care <laughs> okay well, I, could, I couldn't I'm sorry no I couldn't name one I it, all right. it's, I couldn't care less okay alright well I I don't know <laughs> uh, that's always that's one the, of like the that's most the one thing I can't stand when you walk in the clubhouse and like six people come up hey can I change my walk up oh dude that's my whole career what are you talking about you're 7 for 10 on the homestand. Yeah. Or, what are you talking about? You just threw 7 shutout innings last night. What do yeah. you want to change your walk-up song for? That's, all, that's, like, been my entire career. Well, not my entire career, but a very small part that I've done repeatedly is just change guys' walk-up songs. Ugh. So, and it adds a lot of flavor and personality to the game. So that's why I always end it with that question. Um, but, yeah. yeah. But it's a... But for you guys, it's a pain in the neck. Oh, yeah, for sure. They ask you at 545, hey, can, can I have this for tonight? Uh, no, you can't. Or, or if you're Gray Fenter, you ask at 703 when 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 um, first pitch is 705. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's done that before. Um, but, yeah. Fenter, he almost no-hit the Bucos last year. I know. he's He's a good player, man. Well, thank you so much, Greg, for, for taking the time to chat with me and coming on to the Pulling Tart Podcast. I really appreciate it. And, um, yeah, just thank you so much. And um, best of luck with um, this extended off season. And um, get back at it next season, for sure. Yeah, we will. Absolutely can't wait. It'll be uh, – so this was supposed to be our 20th year – our 20th season. So. Yeah. Uh, 01 to 20. So next year we're going to do both our, it'll be our 20th season and our 20th anniversary season all rolled into. Wow. Okay. 
Very be, cool. Be fun. And I think, you know, we're going to make it as big a year as possible. The fans deserve that. Their community deserves that. And I'm not alone in, I'm not alone in uh, saying that everybody's going to do their best in minor league baseball to make 2021 the, the best year ever. Absolutely. So we're going to do everything we can. 2020, uh, you know, didn't work out, but... 2021 will be better. Yeah. Well, I'll have to... 2020 will be better than anything before. Obviously, it'll be better than 2020. Sure. Well, I'll have to make my way up to the press box as a fan next time to to say hi to you. And, um, yeah, just best of luck, and uh, thank you again for coming on. Hopefully, we can do it again sometime. Anytime, anytime. Great talking about it. Yes, good talking to you, too, Greg. Not that much jokes on me, it's gonna be okay. Get through this lonesome day Lonesome day You've listened to the Pulling Tarp Podcast, distributed by Stoveleg Media. Make sure you check out our page at stoveleg.com to learn more about Bobby and the rest of the show. Stoveleg Media, igniting conversation.